This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go beyond the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Philip C. On today's show, I speak to Kieran Sivaraja, partner at the Bridgespan Group, a global non-profit organization originally incubated by Bain & Company that collaborates with leaders, organizations, and investors focused on improving the quality of life and breaking cycles of poverty. We have a discussion with him today about the philanthropic potential of Asia's rising wealth and how their work coincides with governments all across Asia. Good morning, Kieran. How different is philanthropy here in Asia versus the West? So maybe I'll start by just acknowledging that giving and philanthropy is really central to Asian cultures, right? So when you look at some of the oldest Asian traditions, uh, religions, right? So much of it relies on generosity, relies on giving. So with Malaysia, of course, you have the zakat giving amongst the Muslim communities uh, in Indonesia as well. When you look at the migration patterns from East Asia to Southeast Asia, a lot of the clan communities, a lot of it just relies on, you know, one wanting to support your brethren. Uh, and so I would just start by saying that philanthropy is really quite central to how Asians uh, see the world, right? This, this uh, sense of being generous and wanting to, to support your, your, your peers. At the same time, when you look at the origins of philanthropic capitalism in the US, um, this whole idea of embedding business practices to philanthropy, that's much more recent, right? So I would say that there is um, an emerging sense of wanting to uh, professionalized philanthropy in this region. Across Asia, you see leaders doing that, right? Some of the largest uh, donors across several countries uh, in this region are really shaping what excellence in philanthropy could look like um, across uh, Southeast Asia and Asia. And there are a few distinct practices that stand out. And I'll just name three and we can sort of go into it uh, depending on where this conversation goes. So one is it is no surprise that there is an intermingling between philanthropy and business in this region. Uh, wealth is relatively recent in Asia, uh, just given uh, the, the rapid economic growth in the 80s, in the 90s, in the 2000s. So many families, uh, individuals in Asia choose to give via their business platform. So that's one area uh, that is somewhat distinct compared to the US. The second is... Um, you do see the prevalence of what we call operating foundations. And these are really organizations that design their intervention and carry out intervention in-house, uh, which is somewhat unique, right? In the US and Europe, you typically find uh, foundations giving out grants uh, to NGOs or social enterprises. So that, that's a second area that's somewhat distinct. And the third is really the relationship that donors uh, in this region have with government. Right. They really look at um, government uh, agencies, ministries as partners in their effort to effect social change. Uh, and there are many, many ways in which they, they view that partnership, which is quite distinct to how U.S. or Europe-based donors might, might view government. So it, it's fascinating the way you frame it, that actually we're not new to philanthropy. It's just that perhaps the way we execute it is fundamentally different from the West. And the question I guess I'd like to pose to you, are you seeing that the action of philanthropy now, the format, the governance is converging with the West? Is that how we should look at it? 
Yeah, I think that there is certainly that, um, you know, the evolution of philanthropy um, has is such that when I look at some of the leaders uh, across these countries, you do have organizations that have, uh, you know, families that have learned um, what uh, excellence looks like. And, you know, there are many examples of how philanthropy has really been impactful in the U.S., uh, but there is an Asian flavor that has been embedded, infused into the ways in which um, philanthropy operates in this region, right? And there are several examples that we share uh, in our report that was released last month that that, that speak to that effect. Um, and um, I think the from a governance standpoint, you know, one thing that's somewhat unique in the U.S., uh, you have a lot of endowments being created, mm. uh, right, that, that really that really sort of um, helps to provide a certain level of predictability when it comes to your annual philanthropic spend. Uh, I would say that is not as common in Asia. I think you, you have organizations, families thinking about uh, setting that up, but largely, especially when you look at CSR uh, type spending, when you look at corporate philanthropy in particular, it is still very reliant on annual budgets, right? And as you would expect that, uh, goes uh, up and down depending on economic cycles. So there's uh, uh, a sense of uh, uh, less predictability in, in, in that modality. And we're just touching the surface, right, when it comes to the effort here, the potential for, you know, the wealthy, you know, well-to-do businesses here to actually support philanthropic efforts. There's so much more we can do here in Asia, isn't it? The gap is huge. No, for sure. I mean, I, and I think it's... Um, it's that juxtaposition, right, uh, Philip? When you look at uh, Asia, we are really home to nearly half of the world's households living in poverty. And this region is just not on track to achieving any of the, the UN Sustainable Development Goal um, targets, right? So and that that is meant to be achieved by 2030. And at the same time, we are seeing just uh, a tremendous acceleration of wealth in this region um, by some estimates, about 900 plus billionaires live in Asia, uh, more than you know billionaires. Uh, the, the total number of billionaires in the US and in Europe. So that contrast is really quite striking. Mm. And um, you know, one of the uh, data points we share in this report uh, that I mentioned is that if Asian wealth, so individuals and families in Asia, were to match the philanthropic spend uh, of the US you are really looking at unlocking about 700 billion US dollars a year. And, you know, just given the urgency of the issues that surround us, that's an incredible amount of capital that can be put uh, to good use. Which is the question of where is that funds being channeled? Early on, you were mentioning that, you know, many people here give to support their brethren, right? And, and that connotates perhaps local communities somewhere close to where the billionaire or the rich person or the wealthy person resides. I wonder if there's that shift towards addressing more global issues, whether the issues that, you know, these uh, Asians are focusing on tend to be very different from the West. That's a good question. And I would say that there are broad areas of um, commonality, right? And so in this report that we released, uh, we really looked at the 67 richest families in Southeast Asia plus Hong Kong, and Hong Kong in particular, given the familial links, the business links with Southeast Asia. And I think unsurprisingly, right, uh, when you 
when you think when you looked at the areas in which these individuals and families gave to uh, the three that stood out you know education for sure more than 90% of uh, these wealth holders give to education the second was healthcare right also no surprise and the third was really um, you know areas related to poverty and alleviation uh, and i would say that you know that that's unsurprising because when you look at the urgency of need across these countries these are topics that come to mind right mm. many countries in asia are emerging economies these are issues that are in need right so it is natural that um you would give um the giving gravitates towards these sectors um at the same time you know wealth is recent in this country so much of our upward mobility has been because of our access to you know excellent education and so that you know giving is often psychologically very um uh, it, it is linked to one's own narrative one's own history right so i would sort of just name that as uh, probably one of the reasons um having said that you know global more global issues uh, such as climate i think we definitely see that with many families and donors these days um really looking to uh, understand the intersectionality between climate and any of these sectors right and we are beginning to see a lot of capital crowding in uh, to this region uh, a lot of intention to spend on climate mitigation climate adaptation just given the impact that climate will have on some of the most marginalized communities in this region and i want to affirm what you said uh, through the anecdotal observations i've had that i think a lot of giving is emotive it's driven by your personal narrative as you were saying just now especially with wealth being relatively recent hence why the support is channeled towards these really basic needs but at the same time there's also a lot of talk about climate change how do you reconcile both right does this happen in the case that the the philanthropist the elderly uh, person in the family manages the basic things but they pass on the younger generations to pursue the more avant-garde the more current issues like climate change then well you know to be to be fair i think uh, we we do see um organizations uh, you know patriarchs uh, matriarchs and families um being very intentional about impact right and mm. i i don't i wouldn't necessarily see it as um a partitioning depending on topics i i will say that you know when we when you look at the demographics of the 67 richest families in this region there is uh, in general uh, a generational transfer uh, happening when it comes to the wealth right and that's not only in philanthropy but as well documented also on the uh, business side um, and and that also leads to greater decision making power and so we've certainly seen with that transition leaders uh, in these families really looking at defining impact in perhaps a different manner and that could really be because the uh, so some of it could be because of a general generational difference in, in outlook but i think a lot of it is that uh, you know the issues that we um that that surround us today are, are much more acute right and our understanding in in philanthropy in the impact sector in terms of how to address these issues have also really become more profound in recent years so uh, and often with that generational transfer you know what we are really seeing is that there is uh, perhaps greater ambition a greater desire to be bold uh, in terms of how you think about impact right mm-hmm. so 
um, if in the past um, organizations were uh, satisfied with perhaps giving out scholarships, to just use a very rudimentary example, um, there is a transition where uh, organizations are now being much more thoughtful around how do I address some of the root causes of these issues, working together with other actors in the space uh, so that my impact can be uh, much more uh, longer term, right? And I'm sort of working hand in hand um, with other actors to really create uh, an impact change. We're heading into some messages and when we come back, we continue our discussions with Kiran Sivaraja from Bridgespan Group discussing philanthropy in Asia. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Today on the show, Kiran Sivaraja from Bridgespan Group discussing how philanthropic activities are mushrooming all across Asia. Kiran, let's just talk about execution, the right structure to deliver these philanthropic activities. What is really the right organization and governance structure here in Asia to deliver effective giving? Yeah, so I think the structures really differ depending on country, right? And, and many of these countries have uh, different regulatory or incentive structures when it comes to what might make the most sense uh, from a philanthropic sort of angle uh, to give money. Um, I think a couple of uh, examples come to mind and Maybe I'll share uh, one in the Philippines, uh, the Aboitis group, so the Aboitis family. And um, so they, uh, you know, run an operating foundation. Uh, so this is part of their, their, their corporation called the uh, Aboitis Foundation. And they do a ton of work in education, in community development and in environment. And, um, you know, especially during the pandemic, um, they worked quite heavily to advance livelihoods with rural communities, et cetera. So they, they think of giving, um, I, I would say, across two dimensions. So the first that I mentioned was via their business, right? So really using uh, their business as a platform to do good. Um, the Abautis family also has a private foundation, uh, the Ramon Abautis Foundation Incorporated, or Rafi for short, uh, that is um, really looking to be um, more intentional in a, in a different set of areas, mm. right, uh, when it comes to sort of impact. And that's much more of a, a family lens that they take uh, towards advancing social impact. So I think that there are different vehicles that individuals and families can use and there are different assets uh, that, that might make sense depending on the circumstance. And that's an excellent example of two very different vehicles. And just building on the first vehicle, that's very intertwined with the business. That's clearly intended to be symbiotic with the business. It's meant to help each other, whereas the family-driven foundation has things which are decoupled entirely, right? And it's driven yeah. by personal conviction going forward. This is hard, isn't it? Especially for entrepreneurs where they have personal things, but how can the personal things be integrated with the business? Do you yeah. really have to have those clear lines of demarcation then and create these separate structures to deliver them effectively and efficiently? Because that's one of the biggest challenges about sometimes all this philanthropic work actually might feel like it has some ulterior motive in furthering business objectives and goals. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think the the question is really, um, you know, how an organization really thinks about impact, right? Because the wealth does exist, right? And uh, if there is a prevalence of giving via business platforms, which is true in this region, uh, I don't think the answer then is to not give 
via business platforms, right? Mm. I think it's thinking about the right frameworks in which um, that impact can be uh, considered to be truly achieving its intent. Um, and I will say that there are examples of that uh, already being demonstrated to be true in this region. Uh, the DTGO group is another uh, great example uh, from Thailand, right? uh, owned by one of the one of Thailand's wealthiest families, uh, massive uh, conglomerate, and you know they really commit. I, I think it's about two percent of its top line revenue uh, to philanthropy, right? And and that has resulted in um, a huge amount of uh, spending in several areas from education to healthcare to biodiversity. So um, often I think it relies on um, leadership within these companies wanting to um, create intentional impact. And I think if it is good for the business, then why not, right? Mm -hmm. I think doing good, doing good business should not um, be seen as in contrast or in, in sort of in, in competition with creating social impact. And the point about, okay, I'm giving the money, I guess the question here is what's the most effective way of uh, delivering the out impact and outcomes? And you made a very interesting point at the start of the conversation that actually many of these philanthropies work very closely with governments. It's definitely a key distinction here in Asia, right? Uh, mm -hmm. At the same time, I presume also many of them also work with you know local community organizers on the ground. Is it fair to say that they tend to be the financial sponsors and less and, and rely on others to do the operational work then? I think yes and no. So, you know, in the US, it is, uh, as I was saying earlier, it's very common for foundations to really operate as grant givers, yep. right? So uh, I will uh, look out uh, for NGOs that are doing excellent work uh, in communities and I will fund uh, these efforts uh, in Asia, and you know, I'm sort of generalizing an entire region, um, which is uh, perhaps a bit unfair. Uh, but in general, you do find there to be a, a fewer number of these NGOs uh, that are able to absorb the capital to create the impact that donors are really uh, anticipating. There's a variety of reasons for that, right? This has been um, generational underinvestments over years. Uh, that has not let uh, civil society uh, being as advanced uh, in numbers um, or in reach as uh, you know, um, civil society actors in other countries. And so I would imagine that's one of the main reasons why uh, this idea of operating foundations exist. Uh, but having said that, you know, many of uh, the leading foundations in this region are starting to make that shift from operating in-house programs to becoming more uh, of a grant given. I'll give you an example of the Tanoto Foundation uh, in uh, Indonesia. They do work uh, not only in Indonesia, but uh, across a few countries, but they've been very, very thoughtful around how they might address uh, stunting uh, in particular in Indonesia. And through years and years of work of working with the government uh, of Indonesia across all levels, you know, from the um, uh, from aligning their program with the Indonesian president's uh, priority in reducing stunting to working at the local level with health outposts, 
they've really contributed to decline in stunting prevalence nationally right, by by about 10%, which is uh, humongous uh, in Indonesia's um, context. And uh, even organizations like Tanoto are, are recognizing that operating programs in-house alone um, is uh, insufficient if you're really thinking about scaling, right? So um, many of these organizations are now starting to think about how can I partner with NGOs or social enterprises in the field and really equip them with the right skills and with the right capabilities so that they are, uh, given that they are in the front lines of effecting change, that they have the right resources to do so. And I, I guess for me, it's interesting, right? And and back again to the point that there's $700 billion worth of opportunities mm-hmm. still to be unlocked here in, in the world, in Asia. And how fundamentally you're kind of saying, how do we get corporate balance sheets to be really maximized for the greater good, right? What do you think yeah. are the best things governments can do to help unlock that? Well, that's a good question. And I would say that when you look at this region, the wealth is primarily sitting in Singapore, Hong Kong, and Australia. And of course, there are wealth across uh, these other countries as well, but I would consider those to be the, the wealth centers. Um, and regulations in recent years has really caught up, especially post-pandemic, right? I think the there before this, uh, I would say before the pandemic, there has been a prevalence of more domestic giving in these countries. I think that's beginning to change because the incentives and the regulations are now encouraging wealth builders to give across borders. So, you know, that comes to mind in terms of just um, encouraging uh, more giving to a- to areas or, or regions that, that need it the most. Um, and I would say that, you know, for governments in particular, and that this is actually already happening uh, in Malaysia, uh, Yayasan Hasana, which is Kazana's uh, Impact Foundation, from what I gather is, is working quite closely with the Ministry of Finance to, to use some of the resources uh, within the ministry to, to help uh, impact, uh, effect change on a variety of social protection areas. Right? So I think that that collaboration is happening, and which is really interesting, right? The world of philanthropy has not really seen such... Uh, close partnerships before. So I would really see it at a couple of levels. So one is just thinking about the regulatory and incentive structure that can encourage more giving. And the second is really to to work with philanthropists, with donors to to really uh, see how um, social impact can be complementary because there's a lot of lessons to to be learned uh, across both factors. That was Kiran Sibaraja from Bridge Span Group. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Coming up next is the News Bulletin, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.